Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. I'll read through this passage. You can follow along in your Bibles, or if you don't have the Bible right there, just listen as I read. We're starting a new little mini-series here, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means." For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This morning, we're beginning a three-part mini-series on giving generously. Part one, based on this portion of Scripture, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, is focused on when, how, what, and why we should give generously. So I'm laying a foundation today, and I want you to listen to this and this, this message as we go through it. There's another theme as such that will emerge, and I'll get, we'll get to that at the end of it. Part two, based on chapter 8, verse 16, all the way through chapter 9, verse 5, will be focused on the preparation for giving and the administration of what is given generously. All right, so we'll talk about that next week. And then part three, based on chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, will be focused on the principle of sowing and reaping that is integral to giving generously. So you have the roadmap. You can read ahead. You can be praying. You can look it up. You can be prepared and listen to the Holy Spirit even as you come 
on a Sunday morning because the Lord will speak even before you come here. So what we say together will be amplified. What we share together can be amplified. Now, every week we are reminded that one of the ways we worship God is by giving generously, particularly to the local church. And you've also heard about giving at least a tenth of your income, a tithe, giving that to the local church. I'll address these points in parts 2 and 3, but you'll notice that this passage in chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, does not refer to tithing or giving to the local church. Rather, Paul is talking about the special collection being taken for the believers in Jerusalem who had been affected by famine and persecution. Now, we don't take up special collections in the church all the time. However, there is much for us to learn from this passage to set the foundation, like I said, and to understand the principles that the Lord is laying out. So in the context of extending compassionate care to those in the family of God, you'll notice that the word that shows up quite noticeably in this passage is what is, is the word grace or charis in Greek. In verse 1, we see that God gave grace to the Macedonian churches to give generously for the sake of others. In verse 6, giving generously is described as an act of grace. In verse 7, we are called to excel in this grace of giving generously. And in verse 9, we are glad for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that enriches us so that we may give generously. The same word, charis, from which we get charismata, referring to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and charismatic, commonly referring to those who believe in the infilling and continuing manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That same word is used here to refer to the God-given ability to give. So it's referring to the grace of giving. This connection between the Holy Spirit and giving is an apt reminder that giving must always be led by the Holy Spirit. Notice how Paul describes the Macedonians giving in verse 5. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Their giving was first and foremost all about giving themselves to the Lord, not about responding to a plea, not about something else that was being asked of them. They first and foremost gave themselves to the Lord. Then they gave themselves to do whatever the Lord said, to live out the will of God, to give as the Holy Spirit directed them to give. So you understand the sequence there. You understand the emphasis or the priority. It's not respond to the request to give. It is first of all, give yourselves to God. And then as you're led by the Lord, obey him to give as the Lord leads you, as the Holy Spirit directs you. Don't give because you feel obligated or pressured or guilty. Don't give because you are seeking recognition or praise from others. Don't give transactionally. I gave this much, I expect to get this much back. Either from the church or from God or from something. You know, I, I did this and I'm now praying for a job, I'm going to get it. 
This is not a transaction. We're not, we're not bargaining with God, you know, when we do this. Give because you are a faithful steward, a manager of the Lord's resources, not yours, and that you are led by the Holy Spirit to direct what does not belong to you wherever the Lord wants it to go. As a steward, you manage His resources. God, because of the grace of God, is enabling you, compelling you, and making you wise to give. Give because you're being transformed into the image of your Savior who gave everything. That's the motivation. That should be the underlying foundation. That's how we understand the grace of giving. So let's consider this grace of giving by using this passage to answer four important questions. When should we give? How should we give? What should we give? Why should we give? Right? So four questions. And so the first question is, when should you give? The answer to that question is, give regularly. Paul says the Macedonians gave when they were in the midst of a severe trial and extreme poverty. They're in the midst of a trial and extreme poverty. Now you would think that would be the worst time for them to give to someone else. That would be our natural reaction. Right? We would say, oh, if I'm in extreme poverty and I'm going through a severe trial, I can't give to anybody else, I've got to take care of what I need to do. But they, the Macedonians, didn't just give what they could spare, they gave even beyond their ability. Now, as soon as I say that, you're thinking, okay, now he's about to say, no matter what you're going through, you better give, right? I, 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 look, I, I, don't, I don't believe we are to make a doctrine out of the Macedonians' circumstance to say that the measure of godly giving is to ignore our families or responsibilities and to give to others even if it hurts. I don't think that's the doctrine of the word. I don't think the word is saying that to us. It's giving us rather this example of the Macedonians and the lesson that I want to draw out from their example is that of timing, not in terms of giving even if you're suffering. See, the point here is don't wait till you have a surplus to give. Don't say, I don't have enough, I'll wait till whatever, till I have this much, till I have this time, till this severe trial is over, whatever it may be. Don't use your circumstances to justify a lack of generosity. Don't say, well, considering these circumstances, there's no way I could give. Instead, give whenever the Lord directs you to give. Not give whenever there's a plea. Give whenever the Lord directs you to give. Now, in a few minutes, we'll consider what we should give. Right now, my point is that we should be making a habit, a practice, a discipline of giving so that we're just giving regularly. It's something that we do. So it's not, I have enough, I'll give. I don't have enough, I won't give. It's, 
I have a habit, I have a practice, I have a discipline of giving. Now, by the wisdom of God, there may be times when you give more, there will be times when you give less, there will be times that you're giving beyond your ability, there are times when you give out of a surplus for, you know, or out of the abundance and overflow. All that may be happening. But you are led by the Lord to obey the Lord, nothing else. So when do you give? Give regularly. No demand on you. There's nothing that I'm going to be able to say to you or nothing that I can enforce to say, give at these particular times, do these particular things. Next week, we'll talk about some of the responsibilities and why we talk about timing and things like that. But my point to you is, don't be pressured into anything else other than, well, don't be pressured at all, period. But don't be pressured by human beings. Rather, pay attention to the Lord Jesus to say, how do I make this a regular part of my life that I would be giving, right? Second question, how should we give? Well, the answer to that question is give willingly. It should be very clear from how the Macedonians gave entirely on their own, eager to share in the privilege of giving, and from Paul's charge to the Corinthians in verse 11, that we are to give willingly. You're not being forced. You're not doing this because there's some other expectation. You're freely giving what you have received. Again, principle, the fact that as stewards of the Lord, this is not your money. If you feel that you have earned this, you know, I'm a self-made man, you've got the wrong attitude. But if you will say, Lord God, I thank you for these resources that are coming through my hands. And as a steward of your resources, I will give willingly. Right? If somebody has given you something and then you have an opportunity to give that away or to do something with it, it's much easier, right? It, it's, it's, you, you, don't, you don't hesitate as much. You're willing to say, okay, I give this. The Lord says, look, just hold your hands very loose on this stuff. Don't, don't grip tight. Hold it loosely. Allow me to direct these resources in and out of your hands. And so you give willingly. What that means is, that we know the will of God. We're not just taking and throwing in or wasting or doing something with it. We're saying, I wait on the Lord. I know the will of God. And knowing the will of God leads me to align my own will with God's will. And then I'm willing to give. I'm willingly giving to where the Lord is directing. There is gratitude, gladness, joy, cheer, in our giving when we give willingly. And we'll come back to this theme of giving cheerfully, you know, with cheer when we get to chapter 9. But for now, let's keep going. Third question, what should we give? Right? So, when should we give? How should we give? Third question is, what should we give? The answer to that question is, Give what we have, not what you don't have. Verse 12 says, For the willingness is there. The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. We don't compare our giving to anyone else. We don't say, oh, I see they gave that much. I don't have that much, but I've got to give that much so that I can also look like I'm giving. We don't 
compare to others in order to set up our giving. We don't go into debt to give as the Lord directs. We don't say, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll take this and I'll give this when I don't have it with me. I'll just do something. I'll take a loan. I'll do something else. I'll pledge something. You know, the Bible's not asking you to do any of that. Don't give what you don't have. We manage what the Lord gives into our hands with great care so that we can give what we have. And you're very calm and at peace in that giving. You're not anxious about your giving. You're saying, here's what the Lord has given into my hands. Here's how I'm managing it as a steward. And what I have, I'm able to give. As part of our biblical money management seminar, for those of you who were in that seminar earlier this year, and we will continue to do that from, you know, in year over year, what, one of the things we've learned, and this is important, is that God-honoring stewardship that results in generous giving is facilitated by creating and living on a budget, by not living in debt that is fueled by consumerism, materialism, greed, or envy, by saving for short and medium-term needs, and by investing to generate wealth for long-term needs, including leaving a legacy for your children and your children's children. These are the principles that the Bible talks about when it talks about m managing money biblically. So when we talk about those kinds of things, it also emphasizes for us that we need to take to heart that the love of money is the root of all evil. So if we've paid attention to those principles, we're living that way, we're managing our money correctly, living on the budget, not in debt, all of that, then when it gets time to give, you have what is necessary to give. If you haven't done those things, you will not be able to give. If you don't know where your money's going, if you're living in debt, if you're driven by consumerism and so on to try to get the next big, best thing, next thing, next thing, shiny toy, then when it gets time to give, and the Lord says give, you don't have it, right? But I want to also make this point in, when we're answering this question, what do we give? It's not just money that we give. As part of our study of Acts chapter 3, we learned that when a lame man sitting by the temple gate, when a lame man asked Peter and John for money, Peter replied, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And you know the story of how the healing of that lame man, he had been lame since birth, the healing of that lame man was a powerful testimony to all the people and an opportunity for Peter to boldly proclaim the gospel message. He said, why are you amazed at what you've seen here? This is not us who did this. This is Jesus, the one that you crucified. It's by his power that this man has been healed. And so he got this opportunity to do all of that. But it came about because Peter said, I don't have money to give you, but I do have something to give you. So giving is not just about giving money. But it's knowing and is paying attention to what the Lord would put in your hand that you can give. When we learned about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, we saw that the Lord fills us with his spirit for the common good of others. Spiritual gifts are given not so that we can have them and boast about them, 
But spiritual gifts are given so that we will do something for the common good, do something for the benefit of others. It is meant to minister and serve others. And so we saw that the Lord, when we are led by the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we have these gifts from the Lord, when we have the fruit of the Spirit, when we have those things that the Lord is working in us, we can give what we have to meet the real needs of people. The lame man didn't need money. He really needed to be healed. And so even though he asked for money, Peter was able to give him what he had, which was meeting the real need that this lame man had. We can give financially. We can give of the Spirit. We can give of our time. We can give of our time in service, in counsel, in other physical assistance, great examples that we've already heard from folks even as they shared testimonies. We can give our talents, our capabilities. We can draw from our capabilities, our training, our skills in whatever profession or vocation we're involved in. We are able to come together like the guys did yesterday trying to do stuff in the sanctuary, set things up. We can give of our capabilities and our, cap and our profession, our our incomes of that kind and our training of that kind to say to others, here, this is how I can assist you. This is how I can help you. And we can regularly and willingly give whatever we have in these ways. So we know or we considered when to give and what to give and how to give and so on. But the fourth question, and this is a very important question, is why should we give? Why should we give? Well, the answer to that question is give so that there is equality. Now, verses 13 to 15 describe this, describes this whole notion of equality as one of the many reasons to give. There are many reasons to give. And the Bible has many different passages that talk about why we should give and what it does and how the Lord leads us through it and so on. But in this particular passage, in verses 13 to 15, he's going through one particular reason. Our desire, is what it says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. That last phrase comes from Exodus chapter 16, where we read about how God supplied manna, bread from heaven, for the children of Israel after they grumbled about their lack of food. They had come out of Egypt, and they said, oh, we had great food in Egypt, and here we don't have anything. And then it grumbled before God, not just that they had been brought out of slavery, not acknowledging that, but grumbling about their situation, their condition. And when that had happened, in Exodus chapter 16, verses 6 to 7, it says this, So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening... You will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we 
that you should grumble against us. And he goes on to actually say, you're grumbling against the Lord. And then going down to verse 11 of chapter 16, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer. That's a measure that was probably around three pounds or so. Take an omer of this manna for each person you have in your tent, in your household. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little, and when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. You see, the point of the story was not to take from the rich to give to the poor. That's not what God was saying. He wasn't talking about equality in some sort of communistic you know, way. He wasn't describing you know, that kind of a, a, an outcome. The focus of this story was on God's giving. And it was God distributing his provision equally to all his children. The equality that's referenced here is not through human agency or government, but through the love and compassion of God, that in the midst of his children grumbling against him, he's showing love and compassion and answering their cry and saying, I'll provide for you. So the equality that resulted from God's provision was to demonstrate that God was the source, that the measure of the provision that each one was collecting, that what they collected, the measure of the provision was exactly what they needed. Not too little, not too much. And that all the people would acknowledge the Lord as God. That they would say, truly, you are the Lord. You see, that was the point of that incident. That was the point of why Paul is referring to it now in this context of giving. He says, the Lord has done this, or the Lord did this for the children of Israel. And now when he calls you to give so that there will be equality, he's doing it because you will know that he is the source, that he gives the measure, and that he will allow the outcome of it to come for his glory. That's a whole different perspective. Because then when we give to somebody else and we say, well, okay, they're hurting, let me try to help them. We're not trying to say, mm, uh, uh, but you know, they're going to waste it. No, we say, Lord, you love this brother, this sister, this friend, whoever it may be. You love them just as much as you love me. You've given some resources into my hand at this point in time. But this, this person is struggling, is hurting, is suffering. And I thank you for the privilege I have to be able to help them now. And I thank you, Lord, that as I do this, you bring equality. You bring that provision of God into the body of Christ so that all may benefit, so that there is 
the common good. When we distribute the Lord's provisions for the benefit of all his children, we enable all his children to glorify and thank God equally. So where does that bring us in terms of applying these truths in our lives? The point is that we need to respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by giving generously as led by the Holy Spirit. I said earlier that even though we're talking about the why and the when and the how and so on, or what and so on, really this message could have been just called the grace of giving, right? It, it's just all about the grace of giving, that God gives his grace so that we may give. And the question is, how can we excel? Because that's the call, that's the command. Excel in this grace of giving. Not just be good at it, excel. De definitely don't be bad at it, but the call is excel in this grace of giving. How can we excel in this grace of giving? It's not in how much we give. It's not that we would say, oh, I have given more than anybody else. That's how I'm going to excel in this grace of giving. It's not to outdo someone. We're not in competition. We're not trying to compete with one another to give more, right? In fact, Jesus' observation of the widow, the widow's giving that is recorded for us in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, his observation was that she had given more than all the others, even though she just gave two small copper coins, two mites, is what the word says. Jesus says she gave more than all the others, even though what she gave was a minuscule amount in comparison to what others were giving in order to be noticed for their giving. They were putting in large amounts, you know, with a loud sound probably, so that everybody would know that they had given much. And Jesus said, this little widow has given more than all of them. So it's not about how much we give. We don't excel in giving because of how much we give. How can we excel in the grace of giving? It's not about how many we give to. It's not to give indiscriminately to anyone who asks. Oh, I give for 50 missionaries all over the world. I do this. I support that. I do that. It's not about that. Maybe you're giving small amounts. Maybe you're giving large amounts to all those things. Fine, great, wonderful. But it's not about how many places we give to that allows you to say, I excel in giving. That, that Maybe we do that to be recognized. Maybe we do that for some other reason. But the whole point is that it's, we must be wise and discerning in our giving. Discernment is a gift of the Spirit to know how to respond to various requests that may come your way. So we're not just saying, oh, I give, I give, I give, I give. We're saying, I will listen to the Holy Spirit who gives me discernment to know where and how to give, and I'll give appropriately. So really, how can we excel in the grace of giving? We excel in the grace of giving when we are led by the Holy Spirit. We excel in the grace of giving when we obey the Lord. We excel in the grace of giving when we act, when we give as an act of worship. Even if you're giving online, not during a worship service. Even if you're doing that by sending the, you know, whatever giving you're doing to somebody else. Use that opportunity as a means to worship God and to say, Lord, I thank you that you have allowed this 
resource to come into my hand. I thank you for what you do and how you direct my paths. And I want to give this as an act of worship, as an act of glorifying your name. So we excel in the grace of giving when we give as an act of worship. We excel in the grace of giving when our giving is accompanied with prayer that the few loaves and fishes that we give will be multiplied by the Lord to feed 5,000. We excel in the grace of giving when giving is our first priority from the first fruits, not from the leftovers. We excel in the grace of giving when we give regularly, willingly, of all the time, talent, and treasure that we have for the common good. We excel in the grace of giving when our giving lifts up the name of Jesus. We excel in the grace of giving when those we give to recognize and experience the grace, the kindness, the mercy, and the generosity of God, not our generosity. If in our giving, somebody is saying to you, oh, what a wonderful person you are, you need to think what you've done. Do they, when you give, are they able to say what a wonderful God he is? What a wonderful God you serve. Does your giving glorify God? Because when we draw attention to the Lord Jesus, when we say, Lord God, you have been generous, and it's because of your generosity that I can give. The people that we give to, the people that we assist, the people that we encourage in some way, they were, their eyes will be turned to Jesus. And that's exactly where we want to be and where I want to sort of challenge us. Are we doing all that we can in every way that we can to make sure that Jesus is lifted up? To make sure that people know that there is salvation in no other name other than the name of Jesus. For people to understand that all the churches and all the things of the body of Christ and all the things of the people of the family of God and everything else, none of that is the focus. Those simply facilitate us coming to know Jesus, being saved from our sins, being set free, transformed into his image so that we would spend eternity with him. The message of the cross, what we sang about, what we are encouraged in even as we talk about this topic, the message of the cross is simple. The Lord Jesus gave all, gave all that he could for our sakes. When we were separated from God because of our sin, when we had no way of moving forward by our own strength, the Lord Jesus gave his life, shed his blood, paid the penalty, offered up the perfect sacrifice so that we could be saved. And in his giving all of that, his only request, his only statement, without persuasion, compulsion, obligation, no kind of force, no pressure, his only thing is to say, believe in me, accept what I have done for you, receive freely what I am giving, and you can be saved. Christianity 
unlike anything else, the claim of Christianity is so mind-boggling. It's it, the idea that you don't have to do anything, that the Lord has done it all. And because He has done it all, we have this privilege, we have this opportunity this morning even to respond to that. This morning, if you're here, if you're listening online, if you hear this later, and you say, well, I wish I could give. I wish I could help others. I wish I could live like that. But I have no motivation to do that. I don't understand these principles that you're talking about. I don't feel that compassion and care for somebody else in the same way as you're describing. The first step that is necessary for each one of us is not that we would say, I'm going to will myself, I'm going to force myself to do this. The first step that for each one of us is that we would say, Lord, take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. A compassion, care, love, a willingness to give, a cheerfulness in giving, a regularity in giving, a motivation to do it generously is going to come only if I have a heart that is after you, a heart that has been transformed by you. And so, Lord, let the first thing that happens be that I am set free. The Bible makes it very clear that if we will confess our sins, if we will come to the Lord Jesus and say, I repent, I repent of all that has drawn me away from you, of all that has separated from me from you. I repent and I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. The Bible says very clearly that the Lord Jesus will respond to that call. He washes us clean. He restores our relationship with Him. He reconciles us to Himself. And all the godly sorrow that we may experience over our sin that leads us to repentance is now washed clean. We are made innocent. It's as if it never happened. And that we are now set free and made victorious in Christ Jesus so that we can live our life with strength, with joy, with purpose, looking forward to be joined with Him for eternity. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus in this way, I challenge you, I encourage you, I plead with you. Come to the Lord Jesus. It's worth it. It makes all the difference. But if you know the Lord Jesus and you say, well, I don't know if I'm quite living that way. Come back to Him. Surrender your heart to Him. Let Him restore it. Because He's faithful. He doesn't say, oh, you... You're distant from me. Fine, you remain distant. He says, come back with an everlasting love. I care for you with an everlasting love. I've given all that I have given because of my everlasting love. So this morning, I'm going to pray and close our time here. I'll stay in this. I'll stay for a few more minutes up in the front and then we're going to go to lunch, so I trust that everybody who's here, don't, don't rush off. I'll see you at lunch. But I'm just going to stay up here for a few minutes. And if you would like to have me just talk with you and pray with you, I invite you to come. I invite you to come and to just 
be here to, so that we may deal with whatever question you may be struggling with. But maybe it's not right now, right after the service. Whenever it may be, I encourage you, don't let the time pass. Don't just let it go. Go to the Lord. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. Ask Him to respond to you. Ask Him to set your life right. And He will. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that Your principles for giving are made possible because You demonstrated perfect giving. You don't ask us to do something that You didn't do. You ask us, Lord, to be engaged and to give because you gave. Thank you, Lord, that you gave Jesus. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you gave us life. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you give us of yourself so that we are able to walk in this earth, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, do your work in our lives now. Let your name be glorified. Let your Holy Spirit lead us, guide us, and direct our steps so that as we receive from you freely, unconditionally, abundantly, we may also give to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.